Sales development continues to grow in importance as a critical component of a successful go-to-market strategy. And with the explosion of new tools, technology, and processes, the sales development industry itself is thriving, as seen with the growth of the 10-bound sales development market map over at 10bound.com. On this podcast, we'll dive deep and go beyond sales development to think about the future of technology, processes, and tools in the industry with our host, noted futurist, author, and sales development practitioner, Justin Michael. Welcome to Beyond Sales Development. Tune in each week and be sure to hit subscribe, leave a comment, and turn on notifications to never miss an episode. And now, Beyond Sales Development with your host, Justin Michael. Welcome to Beyond Sales Development. I'm here with the incomparable Nikki Ivey, who is an SDR leader and quite humble and uh, has a lot of great tactics and tips. So Nikki, welcome to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Justin. Thank you. I'm, I'm super excited to be here talking to you today, and I'm a fan of, of a lot of your content. And most importantly, I nerd out on sales development stuff, so this, this should be fun. I'm a fan of sales development. I'm also a fan of Star Star Wars, and you blew my mind with your knowledge of it and uh, <laughs> theories about the plot. So we we might get into that piece. I actually interviewed someone on here, and they were in their mom's basement with a giant cutout of Han Solo and Darth Vader behind them. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So talk to me about this. Like, how have you gotten to sales development? Like, what does it mean to you? If you could just kind of share the company you're working on. I know you also have SDR Defenders. That's pretty cool. Just just get us up to speed if you can, please. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've been in, you know, sales proper for more than 10 years now. And I've worked in you know, retail environments. B2B is relatively recent in my career. I guess it's only the last, well, I guess the second half has been in B2B tech. But the common thread in all of that has been, you know, what you can do with effective communication and copywriting skills to set yourself apart, even if you don't have, you know, some, you know, big money education behind you, even if you don't have a lot of experience, the barrier for people say the barrier for entry to sales is low. I would challenge that. I don't think it's necessarily, and I've said this myself before as well. So I would challenge myself. Uh, It's not that it's low necessarily. It just, it does step outside of this traditional box of what you have to have in order to be successful and and what you can make out of nothing. So, you know, a a girl gets a a, a hold of that and you kind of just don't let it go. So that's why I've stayed the the recent stuff, the, the real like sales development stuff that I've been into lately happened kind of by accident. <laughs> I I was out of work and just kind of playing around on, on LinkedIn. And I got this, this message. And this, I'm taking you guys back like three roles ago. I was just, I was online and I got this message from James Carberry at Sweetfish Media. And, you know, he had just posted about a role that they had opening up for, it was, an, it was essentially an SDR role, but it was so different because it was also hosting the B2B growth podcast. And I thought, huh, okay, like how does, how does that work? Am I making calls and then doing interviews anyway? So I, I went immediately and just researched and read everything I could about what they do. And at like one o'clock in the morning or something, I send James Carberry this like just really enthusiastic voice memo. 
in Messenger, and I'm like, it's one o'clock in the morning. I'm thinking about sales. So, th- so there's what all you really know about me. But I was like, I love everything that I could possibly consume about you guys, and I'm looking forward to getting having a conversation with you. And at that point, I hadn't I didn't have the interview yet. So of course, he like calls the phone screen person and is like, we need to talk to this girl. Anyway, so. The, first of all, the way that I did that interview process, right? The way that I used LinkedIn voice memos and, and the way that that cut through. And this is not that long ago. It was only last April, and, but nobody was doing it. So I'm already cluing in to how these sort of outside of the box channels to get a hold of people are cutting through. Anyway, so the job ends up being interviewing people for the podcast and then having, seeing if it makes sense to have a conversation about like, okay, so you're on this podcast, you like podcasts you're pursuing thought leadership and brand awareness. And we kind of agree that this works. We produce podcasts for B2B brands. You should probably have another conversation. And that was it. That was it. So I was getting to talk to people about what they love, what's important to them, what they're passionate about when it comes to B2B revenue, and then help them get the larger message about the problems that they were solving out to their prospects and customers. And so it's this this concept of uh, what's called, what they call, content-based networking. And it just was like, <laughs> oh, there's no it. video. So you guys can't see. I just did like the yeah. brain uh, explosion <laughs> gesture. I may re-release all these with the videos someday on 10 bounds. So it's up to uh, Dave Delaney, but it's, it's interesting. One, I'm totally sold on the concept. I loved the passion and the way you just described cutting edge, innovative tactic, which really kind of showed your innovation. I remember, well, first I know James Carberry through Ben Sardella back at Outbound Works, a small world there. When I yeah. applied to LinkedIn, it was the same way. They saw how I looked for warm introductions and how I personalized and the approach. And they're like, your approach is really interesting. Let's talk about that. So now that you've been in these roles and you've been looking at content-based networking, which is totally innovative and innovative channels, right? Mm-hmm. I, like Morgan Ingram, you know, really, I, I started to go out there looking for video messaging. He has the 10, 30, 10 framework. Then I met people yep. from BombBomb who've sent 5,000 video messages. I'm, blows my mind. And then this other guy comes in and goes, I sent 10,000 video messages. I was like, oh, we got to talk. I want to know what you're finding. So I'm sure the listeners would love to hear what you're innovating on now. It doesn't have to be tech stacks. It could be an approach. And it could yes. be simple. It could be a return to classic uh, themes. It's all of those things. Uh, so, But, I'll, but I'll, I'll try and keep it narrow. So... During, in March, I, my contract ended at six cents where I was the social marketing manager. But a really cool thing about that role was that that's where I was working with the BDR team, sort of running like a a top of funnel recon. So if they had some CMO who was active on social, but not answering their emails, I'd be like, where is, where's the in? What, if I just listen a little bit, if I follow you know, this, this CMO that you're trying to break through to, and I see some cool nugget to personalize around or some opportunity to, to get in there and cut through. Then as I'm doing my work as a marketer, right, I'm also going to be able to, you know, create sort of a feedback loop with the BDR team. And, you know, we didn't get as far as I wanted to, as far as like, let's really be intentional about this. Let's make a target list and give it to me. And, and while I'm just out doing my, my, my work on social, we'll see what we can pull from it. But I was able to, from a top of funnel social role, uh, to source actual deals, to like put stuff in the pipeline. And that just doesn't happen. And so when the contract ended, uh, and I was, you know, during COVID, I only recently, you know, took a new role, like 
just a couple of weeks ago, right? So during that time, how do I stay sharp? How do I not, you know, just lay in bed and loathe and sulk? <laughs> um, I, I find new things. And so I didn't have access to a lot of the, the tech that I was using when I was in these previous roles to, to sort of execute and play with these strategies and see what I could, how I could affect pipeline from top of funnel, even before it got to, you know, what the SDR, what an SDR would do. And so that's what led me to get creative. And I started using video apps. Like there's one called Ripple where you can make like a, a video. It's like a short little video quote post almost. But what I was doing is I would go on, on Twitter or on LinkedIn. I'd find something sort of the same process that a person would go through if they were looking, they're researching, doing the research step as an SDR, right? Like finding the nuggets that you're going to personalize around. Yeah. And instead of putting whatever this quote was, right? Let's say this person said, the person I'm trying to reach out to said something that I found interesting. Instead of putting that in an email and saying, hey, you said X, Y, Z, and it, it resonated with me. I made like a little social quote post for them that made them look like famous, made them look cool and left no doubt as to whether or not I was paying attention and make use of these, you know, marketing skills. And I, I didn't consider myself a creator even before I took the, the role at Sixth Sense. But I was like, all right, I got, I got no money. These apps are free. What can I do with them? And so I made, there was this Crunchbase list that came out, a bunch of folks that I follow made the list. And I just made them little cute little social posts and tagged them in it on Twitter. And all of them retweeted it added me, thanked me personally. So it made it to a couple of folks, even from Twitter, it made it into their Instagram stories, right? And so I'm like, wow, why aren't we empowering, why, well, first, why aren't we teaching this to SDRs and then empowering them to take their, their top of funnel stuff, even you know more top of funnel and in a counterintuitive way, right? That's actually the more intimate, genuine connection that's available when you compare it to what I could have done with that same personalization nugget to those same people in an email or even a phone call. I love it. I have been taking notes, the Ripple app, you know, so already <laughs> top of funnel recon. I mean, I'm a writer. <laughs> so I, I, what I, what I love is when people come up with like new uh, terms. So content based networking, top of funnel recon, listening and then on the listening using these awesome free app tools to go out and you know be a creator create content and then tag people in a way that celebrates them that really gets you noticed so first of all like no one is doing any of that <laughs> so it's been a surprise and delight just to get on the episode i'm taking notes and i just actually got a notepad so i probably would always take notes but i really those stick out to me i've never heard of all three of those strategies Take me forward like the next few years where you see sales development going, either kind of what your plans are and where you see the technology and the approach. Because here's the problem I'm having. If I have to get in front of a C-level decision maker or someone who signs the check and we have all this hyper-personalization, well, everyone's going to get better and the tech's going to get better and it's going to be harder and harder to be different. Or maybe I just need to like, you know, make movies like... Ryan O'Hara at Lead IQ was like, make a Super Bowl ad for one person. And it kind of fits in with what you're saying here. So yes. two questions yes. baked into that. I think the the future of sales development must be, right? And this is, you know, full disclosure coming from a person who is an unapologetic advocate of SDRs, right? 
even the ones that send the bad emails, even the ones that cold call you and you think it, did this person learning, did they just get off the bus, right? Yes, I'm an advocate for those people too, because all of us were in a position before where we just literally got off the, the bus. It's our first day of school. We know nothing. And I have a high level of empathy for that. But, but what's happening, what started to happen during this time when a lot of us had been out of work and sort of figuring out what how we stay, not even to stay relevant, but like how we survive this climate. Some really wonderful things have been pulled out of people. And some of the most exciting examples of that are SDRs. Take someone like Andre McBride, who just accepted his role at, on the, on the SDR team at Gong, right? This is a person who was showing up in all the micro communities. He then started to create content around just his own journey, his own experience in looking for a role to break into B2B. And now what he brings with him in just the short amount of time that he took to build any, any following or brand, what he brings with him to Gong can only impact their bottom line. Like if he keeps that up. So where I'd like to see the future go is we take this, not necessarily the power dynamic, but we take the, the, some, some of the cultural things that have been not so respectful to SDRs right? Despite the bulk of the pipeline that they create, despite the fact that they, at most companies are the, they're the heart of the culture. They galvanize the sales floor. Everybody supposedly loves them, but they're not often getting a lot of the respect that they should be getting. But if, if we take Sarah Brazier before him and then Andre McBride as an example, if you take me, I'm, I'm in SDR at M-Train. If we take me as an example, and we, we look at what is the capital that these people are bringing with them that they now well, while wearing the banner of whatever this organization is, how powerful is that compared to just people doing nothing at all, right, on, on social? And I don't mean just LinkedIn. I mean Twitter, all of that. So what I'd like to see the future is, is just something short of influencers when we look at how SDRs impact sales culture and how SDRs impact the bottom line. But just do, taking that same model that Sarah Brazier did and that, that Andre's doing that I'm doing and scaling it. Because what I think, what I thought previously was, well, it's easy for someone, if I, if I work at a gong, right, and it's a big enough brand, and they're already, you know, salespeople selling to salespeople, then I can talk about what I do as a salesperson and still be talking to folks who might be my prospects. But I mean, if I sell into construction, then someone who's in that field who I want to sell to comes to my LinkedIn and sees me just talking about what a good salesperson I am, well, then it doesn't work. So there wasn't, it wasn't a really democratized opportunity there when we look at, you know, what someone like Sarah could do as an SDR and what someone not selling into B2B salespeople could do. But if we develop that, if we just think about, okay, well, why not? And we start to talk about how to empower your SDRs to engineer their audiences, right? That is pay attention to who they're adding on LinkedIn and, and how they're building that audience and have that match up as directly as it possibly can to your target accounts list, to your ICP. Like I'm talking actual names of contacts and accounts as many as you possibly can. If they're doing that right, and then they just start to talk about the industry or the at the idea level, start engaging these people. And then they start to, these SDRs start to stand for or be symbols of what is possible, not necessarily with that tool, but with whatever the philosophy is behind the tool, whatever the spirit is behind the problem that you're trying to solve and your approach to it, then there'll be no more question about 
whether or not SDR should be respected. There'll be no more question about whether or not SDR should be allowed to be on, you know, LinkedIn or, or build their brand. It'll just make sense. And, and I hope that that's, that's where it goes. I love that. That was uh, an amazing response and so eloquent and so passionate. I think the second piece of that was, where do you see your journey? Do you think you will stay on the opening track, which is now a new track? You can actually be an SDR and then an SDR leader and an SDR thought leader. You don't have to become an AE. You can become a VP of sales development. There are new roles opening up for folks that enjoy, you know, the the top of the funnel. Yeah. <laughs> so are you think that's your journey? Yeah. And, you know, in, in Sarah's case, right, she is now an account executive. And I think they're both very valid. And I think we just need respect for however people contribute. Certainly, every every CEO, if they really think back, started with the cold calls, right? Like even that famous Steve Jobs story where he's like a kid and he calls Hewlett Packard about his uh, computer club. <laughs> that started it all. I think he like talked yeah. to one of the founders or some some wild story. So do you think you'll stay in sales development? Yeah, I think I will. It's, and it's so funny when you mentioned that I think of a lot of the the scenes from, you know, sort of the sales movies and the sales lore, all of the the scenes that people love the most, it's typically a person doing a sales development function. And I don't <laughs> think that that's an accident, you know, because there is something very magical, very magical about not changing someone's mind necessarily, right? But making that connection where, you know, they see you and you see them, you may not agree on whatever comes next. But you've taken this whole situation and transformed it and made it something, I think, something so human. I think we, we talk about sales development a lot of time. We're talking about technology, but no, at the heart of it, it's people connecting with people. That's the skill. That's the talent. But for me, for me in the immediate sense, I'd like to be leading a team of SDRs at M-Train whom I have had a hand in, in selecting and ramping and making them, you know, helping them become the best that they're going to be. Beyond that, it's big. (laughs) And I don't even know what the how is at this point. I just know that I want to be impacting sales culture in a meaningful and lasting way. And where I see the opportunity, the biggest opportunity to do that is to affect the way people are treated and welcomed into the profession to begin with. So that's another dimension of why sales development appeals to me. It's it's not just the job itself. It's the potential to shape folks, right? Because so much of what's wrong with sales culture, what's broken in salespeople has to do with, you know, their sales childhood, so to speak, right? So they have all these, these traumatic experiences from when they were younger and then in their sales career. And then rather than avoid those things, we end up acting these things out and hurting people the way that we were hurt in terms of these toxic elements of the culture. And, you know, again, I'm empathetic to this. And so no part of me wants to just, you know, wag my finger at, you know, folks who do that, who perpetuate those kinds of cultures, just want to get more people into the profession that didn't have that experience so we can heal and make money and impact change. I have no doubt you'll be successful doing just that because it's interesting when I talked with, with Sarah, just to link there, I think I interviewed her yesterday, even she talked about specificity and why I'm linking that here is you're articulating something that you're doing, right? When I talk to a lot of folks, it's kind of like, well, there's emails and calls and how many emails and how many calls and there's this measurement of stuff we do, but articulating like micro communities and content strategies and apps. It's like, 
I think your voice is very powerful to empower the function, but also articulate the, okay, now what? <laughs> I'm fired up. Okay, I guess I'll just make more calls and emails, right? It's like, we need to get out of the box, right? I can imagine your future team being almost like a record label or like a awesome channel on HBO where there's like great content because each person is a fusion of their personal brand and the company brand. And I remember there's some high profile cases early in social media where someone, big company, I won't name it, it's very famous, literally just tweets. And then they're like out of the company. Companies have changed a lot in the last five years. They're letting the salespeople get out there and are pretty comfortable with it on LinkedIn. Like I knew Scott Lee's five Mm -hmm. years ago and there was no, you know, Patreon or Slack community. Like there was, it's weird. We're all like race car drivers now. It's like, well, how do you get a hundred meetings? Well, <laughs> so <laughs> where is that piece going? I, I think you, did you work with Scott? I'm, I'm curious who you follow, you know, and is, is that prediction on my part accurate? I do think that that prediction is accurate. And as far as who I follow, you know, I can be a fan just like everybody else. So, so a lot of the people who the names that you would know are, are, you know, that I would say are names that you would know, but the, the difference for me is I've had personal experience, like met them in person or worked with them personally. So I'll start with, actually, I'll start with Dale Dupree. Cool. I love I, his vibe I've, and his branding is like an eighties race car driving game or like Miami vice. Right. It's so good. So I, I, I was acquainted with all of that. And, you know, I think he's friends with, they both live in Orlando. So I think he's friends with James Carberry. So I, I knew of him and started following his content. And I really dig, he's a Star Wars fan. And I dig all of the rebel talk, but, you know, we had never met. And I didn't, you know, at that point, it wasn't anything different from just, you know, following influencer or thought leader on, on LinkedIn. But I was getting ready to go to this conference. This is all just before, you know, the wrecking ball that is COVID changed everyone's plans. But I was, I was going to this, uh, the selling power conference in Orlando. And I made this post on LinkedIn, like, Hey, I'm going to be, I'm going to be out there. Anybody want to say, say hi. And Dale was like, yeah, that's my, that's my, you know, part of town or whatever. So he was super nice, met up with me. We went and had dinner together and we had this conversation where there was just no veneer. There was no, you know, here's my sales face (laughs) type thing. And, And once I met him, I instantly knew that that wasn't even ever a possibility, right? He's just a real person. And so for me, I I like more folks to have access to those other dimensions of people. And I know for a fact now that we can, we would never get those on LinkedIn. It's why I encourage young sales folks to be on Twitter and be in, in the communities. But so I've, I was fortunate there. Of course, Scott Lee, so you guys can't see that in video, but I mean, on audio, but there, his book's right behind me on my bookshelf, always uh, <laughs> addicted to the process. So, and he is someone that I, yes, I worked with and know personally and has been instrumental and I can't lie in a lot of the opportunities that I've, that I've gotten. And so beyond that, there's folks you don't know. There's a gentleman named, or you may not know this gentleman named Brent Cole, who for a long time led business development at Accruent, but who was also the first person to hire me for a job when I first moved to Austin. And I was a real tough case. I'm not going to lie. I was, I was not a diva. It was actually quite the opposite. So uh, one element we were selling, we were selling into multifamily housing, right? A company is called Court Furniture, and they furnish corporate housing and and events and all of this. And so, part of the job was to make phone calls. I had been doing a lot of retail stuff and had never really made cold calls before this. And I would request to be put like in a little cubicle in the back because I was just so terrified of anyone hearing me talk on the phone because I was certain that I sounded like a a goober, sorry, 
F word. Uh, so I was convinced that I sounded like a goober. And he like loved me through that. He could have, he would have been well within his rights to just like say this, she's not cut out for it. <laughs> How can you be so effervescent as in, in person and then be so afraid on the phone? Like, I, I don't even want to put this puzzle together. He would have been within his rights to do that to me, but he didn't. He coached and supported and guided and loved me through that experience and is still a, a dear friend and, and mentor of mine. I don't know. I forgot even what the question was. But... I forgot the question too. I could like, I, I love this show because I, I bring people on that are like, just have really interesting viewpoints about it, you know? And I, I love how you just described that. I remember being a rep, my first ever job, I was 21. And it was like, you read a nine minute script and you take a credit card. And I read it like a hundred times and I didn't get a credit card. And I'm like, I am bad at this job. <laughs> I was like ready to quit. But yeah, that, that period, some, I had some cool trainers who I'm in touch with to this day that showed me that I could work on it and, and kind of, you know, optimize what it is. Can you, you asked the question and I yeah. want to, I want to, so you asked about like what it was like working with Scott. Yeah. There's yeah. a, there's a, a thing that he did when, when I was at Outbound Engine, which was, yes, my first B2B sales job. And I don't see other people doing it. And I really think that they should. And especially in this remote environment, I'll start out with saying, so part of the reason why people aren't doing uh, this, this method or this practice so much is because things like gong and chorus mean that they really don't necessarily have to. But so when I started and that was an ISR, that, that was just what they, we called sales development back then. Uh, when I started it at um, Outbound Engine, one of the most helpful things was Scott had recorded himself. He'd recorded himself delivering the rebuttals to the objections because he understood how important, how critical it is not to just say the right words, but to say them with the right tone and cadence. And it's really difficult to teach someone the right tone and cadence without just demonstrating it for them. So true. And, and the fact that it came from the person who actually wrote the script and wrote the rebuttals was even more powerful. And on a psychological level for me, I'm like, wow, this person's the VP of sales of this company, which will not be the first exit, you know, that he has. So he's, there's no reason why he should even care this much, but it's probably precisely because he cared that much that he was successful. So I remember just sitting there and it's so weird, but listening to Scott Lisa's voice deliver these rebuttals, just the way that he asked the questions and it was so helpful. So when I think about how I'll run my own SDR team and one of the sort of tools in my toolkit, that's what I cannot wait to use. I cannot wait to not just give them a piece of paper and a script that says, hey, here's how you deliver this that's going to be effective, or even point them to, you know, the, the SDRs before you got here were making these calls so you can listen to their calls. No, no. I'm the one who crafted these messages. Here is their intended purpose. And let's treat learning that skill separate from the way that we treat learning the skill of how to navigate the conversation in real time, because I believe they're two very different things. I don't know why he doesn't talk about that very much because I just think it was, it was lights out. I was like, now I, there's no question. So there was that and a, a tool we don't much use anymore where it was whispering is what it was called. So our headsets are connected and, you know, I'm on a call and in real time I've got, and there's a gentleman named Roosevelt Hawkins who was, you know, Rose, but you know, I don't, I, I just, I remember no, the era just, of splicing into headsets and like listening in and giving like, yes. I used to sit so Roosevelt, I was just, yeah, nodding my head. Oh my God. 
So, so to have Rose on like one of my first, it was my first week live making calls at Outbound Engine. And it's, it's like you get to, I felt like Peter Parker in an Iron Man suit, right? Yeah. That's how it felt. So I'm, I'm, I'm Peter. I got gifts, right? But, but sometimes you, you just need to like co-op somebody else's for a moment for a specific purpose. And so I remember being on the phone and prospect says something inevitably, right? I, a part of me freezes up. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't prepared for this, even though I listened to all of Scott Lisa's rebuttals. I, this is something I wasn't prepared for. And then Rose's voice comes in. First, he's giving me encouragement. He's like, take a deep breath, relax, and say it exactly like this. And then he delivers what to say next. And because I've studied the importance of tone and cadence, no part of me rejects just saying it exactly how he says it. I understand why that's going to work. And then because I've practiced delivering it exactly the way that someone else is saying it, I'm doing it right. And by God, this person is responding. <laughs> it was just, and then, and then so, so to graduate from that to being someone who is now on the, on calls on the other end of it, giving that same encouragement and uh, loading their lip as they call it in car sales. When you tell another person what to say, I just think it was, I just think it was really magical. And, and maybe those things are old school, right? Like I said, with the advent of things like gong and chorus, but there's something so intimate and so personal and I, I never, you know, wondered how supported I was in that building by those leaders. Never, not once. And it was due in large part to, you know, I, I, yeah, I guess that's the word to the, the way that they heavily invested in training and in coaching throughout and the intimacy with which a lot of that training was enacted. That was awesome. I love that story. I think we'll get, you know, all the pieces of Scott Lisa's methods, the open via his friends and the people he has mentored. So what a legend. And you are definitely on your way to that legendary place because you're so focused on doing it right and putting so much extra effort into it. So it's been a great pleasure to have you on the show. Where do people go to find you and, you know, maybe plug SDR Defenders as well? Yeah. So we just did an overhaul on our website at SDR Defenders. It's way prettier now. <laughs> and, right. and it's great. Shout out to Nisha, who is one of the five founding SDR Defenders, the one who is not a salesperson. She's actually, she's a marketer, head of marketing, and she's brilliant. And she's literally the backbone of the con- the content and the whole thing, everything that we do. So SDRdefenders.com is a thing. We have our hotline because remember, I believe in when it comes to coaching, I believe in intimacy. So uh, maybe you're not even allowed to say that as a salesperson anymore, but I do. <laughs> So, and I believe in, I studied broadcasting, so I believe in the power of audio. I grew up an army brat, so the way people speak always, like, because I was jealous that everybody had accents and I didn't. The way people speak, I'll, I'm, I'm very attuned to it. So, I was like, we need a hotline. So, the SDR Defenders hotline is 888-563-SDRD. And it's, it's, I'm super excited about it because what we thought about was, okay, we see that there are Slack groups where, you know, SDRs can ask questions and do sort of a knowledge share. You, of course, if you were a particularly enterprising SDR, could go into the inbox of some influencer who you want to ask a question. But how do you circumvent all of that? How do I make a frictionless experience and remove as many barriers as I can between myself and folks who might have questions for me and the other SDR defenders? So you call, you leave a message, and some of the messages I've responded to with like video in this person's inbox answering their questions, some of them is just an email or just a message. But, uh, and you can certainly tell us how to get back with you. The next horizon of how we'll answer those questions is live on our webinars. Um, so there's a lot on the roadmap for SDR Defenders. The other places you can, so of course, follow us on LinkedIn. 
The other places you can find me are uh, my BDR breakthrough group on Bravado and on Twitter and Instagram at no Nikki Ivy. Uh, it's not no as in rejection is in how to know me. So K N O W Nikki Ivy on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so much for being on the show. That is awesome. And uh, we will talk soon.